And for the last time this season, we are live with a Survivor Season 40 Winners at War episode recap. What an absolutely amazing finale. We could finally say it. It happened. Tony Vlachos is the winner of Survivor Winners at War Season 40 and is now the second two-time winner ever next to Sandra. Tony said it in the episode. He said, there was always a queen and that was Sandra. Now there's a king. And that's what happened. Tony played an absolutely outstanding game. And after tonight, it remains. He did not receive a single vote at a tribal council this entire season. Look, if you told me before winners at war that Tony Vlachos would be in the finals, have no votes cast against him, have an idol, won four, three challenges, and be in the best spot to win, I would have said you're crazy. Hef may have called it. Hef can take credit for it. But... I would have said you're crazy. Then after this finale, Tony still had zero votes against him and four immunity wins and wins fire. Look, we're going to break it all down tonight. We're going to break it down after the season, but Tony is 100% in the conversation for one of the greatest of all time and arguably, and I would put my case on this, maybe the greatest of all time after tonight. What do you have to say to all this? Hef, you were the one Ryan brought it up. You did, and now we, we know that we had a lot less listeners at this point compared to now. But before the season, you did have a prediction and you did say that Tony was going to win this season. What do you have to say now that your prediction has come true and it, now it's all said and done? Um, well, thank you guys for acknowledging that. I think the only thing that I can say that encapsulates how I'm feeling is, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Um, come on in, guys! <laughs> no, you didn't do that. <laughs> for, for, the, for the last time this season, come on in, guys. But... Yeah, we will have a lot of off-season content coming up. To you guys, we'll talk about that a lot later. First, we have a ton of stuff to get into. Uh, as Jeff said, it was going to be it was the longest finale of all time. Uh, no reunion show at all, which I expected there to be somewhat a reunion show. There wasn't, obviously, given the technological problems um, and the social distancing. That you know, obviously, is understandable. And I still thought it was very cool that they were able to get a live reaction out of the three people sitting there. Um, Natalie, Michelle, and Tony, and their families in the when the votes were read for the finale. So that was at least cool. But you know, longest ep- longest episode in Survivor history, longest finale in Survivor history. Let's get right to it. What we will do is, I know there's so much to cover. We're going to try our best to go in chronological order, like we usually do. If we veer off a little bit, we veer off a little bit. There's just so much to talk about. So, you know, as we spoke about, as we as we as we already discussed, you know, usually when we are at a live a live finale it jumps right into Jeff on stage in front of a bunch of people cheering really weird to see him in his garage tonight, but props to survivor. They always figure out a way, no matter the circumstances to get it done. So yeah, yeah. No, big props. Jeff, yeah. No, Jeff coming to you live from his garage. Uh, someone on Twitter said season 41 at uh, I'll play out last in Jeff's garage. But um, no, I think that, you know, like a common theme we heard tonight with Natalie saying you play the hand you're dealt you know, with COVID-19, we are dealt a very heavy hand. And I think the team did a great job to try to bring it to us, you know, with the sets, with the music playing as he's reading the final votes. It was as good, good as it could have been with everything happening. The only thing that would have been better if they had more time would have been a reunion with all the people on the screen. But I think they did the best that they could. So I thought Jeff and the team deserve a huge hand for that. Did Jeff um, arrange the background behind him himself? That's what he said that they, the production sent it to him with directions of how to set it up. And he did set it That's up. Pretty impressive. I'm not sure if he had 
a production guy with him in his garage. I would have to assume he did just to get signals back to CBS and everything. But regardless, he definitely played a role in building it himself, which is really cool. And I, I mean, I just amazing. And you know, they say in Survivor, you always have to adapt, and that's what Survivor did tonight. Um, but yeah, as we expected with the whole recap coming last week at the end of the episode, right at the beginning here, we did have the battle back challenge immediately. And Natalie did end up coming back. I know that was a very popular prediction um, for many people as she did have 14 fire tokens, three advantages in the challenge. And, you know, she did get a tremendous amount of airtime the last three week, th- few weeks. People thought it was, you know, a lot of people were, you know, between Natalie and Tyson, it did end up being Natalie. I want to ask you guys, what did you guys think of the advantages that Natalie was given? You know, I, I have thoughts on it, but I want to hear your thoughts. Terrible. Terrible. So elaborate. I want to hear why. Like, I want to hear the whole um, thing. She had a ridiculous head start. And I understand she earned them on the edge of extinction. But either make it so there's a maximum of two advantages you can get or make the advantages less substantial because she was so far behind in that first, um, like, post-maze or whatever you want to call it. And she ended up winning the whole thing. If she didn't have any advantages, she would have maybe come, become, maybe come in last. And... Like, it gave her such an unfair advantage that it really – I mean, I didn't want her to come back, so I guess I have a bias, but I am incredibly upset about how unfair it was. What yeah, think I, think it, I think it depends on the advantage itself. Um, I think because I think we saw with the first advantage, you skipped the rope maze at the start, and I think – Four people or five people, including Natalie, Parvati, Wendell, they all had that. And we saw Wendell, and shout out to Dylan for, you know, calling Wendell as a dark horse candidate. He almost came back tonight. Um, but, I mean, Hef, I think you're right, though. The I don't mind the rope bridge, and I don't mind the skipping the first maze, but the digging is the biggest thing. I think yep. Kelly mentioned it on our podcast with her, but or maybe it was Russell. I think it was Kelly, though. You don't know how deep you have to dig. And in the hot sun... I mean, that, that's why Caleb got medevac. There's nothing more exhausting than digging in the hot sun, exerting that effort. So that probably was the biggest time saver for her. I mean, look, we can go on and on about, we don't like the edge. We don't like the advantages, all of that. But I mean, Natalie did earn her way back in. She did struggle. I was a little nervous for her at first, but she managed to pull it out. Um, advantages were a big factor here, but the biggest one had to be the digging though. Yeah, I know we we, we did discuss with Kelly um, what we thought the advantages could have been because she did play the same challenge um, in her season, season 38, Edge of Extinction. We were pretty right. Like part of the rope was built, which, okay. So I think that out of all the advantages, I think just having three is too much. I don't mind advantages in the challenges. What I do mind is the fact that Jeremy, Jeremy was at the table maze at the end without a single advantages in the whole challenge. So like three is just a bit too much, especially when you're rewarding people who are taken out first. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Natalie because she did, work her ass off on edge of extinction and she as i know she she like she gave at the final tribal council she gave the resume of every single thing she found on on the edge and that was incredible she found five different things she completed the coconut challenge she completed the log challenge so props to her but i just think three you know if there was to be edge of extinction again i don't think there will be or any kind of battle back i think three advantages is a bit too much but you know props to her she did overcome adversity where overcome adversity where she got stuck a few times and the advantages were enough to push her through. Um, but I, I don't want, I don't want complaints about the edge to take away from this podcast, talking about what an amazing finale that was. And there were so many iconic moments 
in this finale and you know we could and we're going to go on talking about all of them but the first one was really following that battle back challenge and i had a feeling this was going to happen where they had all the players who had not gone back in lined up on the mat and it was almost like each player was giving their farewell speeches if they were making a retirement from a sport or something like that what do you guys think of what did you guys think of all that i know it was an extremely powerful moment um just to get all these amazing players some of the best of all time talking about what survivors meant to them and almost making a farewell speech. Yeah, it was really incredible, super bittersweet because like you mentioned, we're likely not going to see most of these players again. We might see, you know, a couple, maybe if they do a legends or if they do another um, returning season, but we're likely going to see most of these people not return ever again. And it was so, it was like emotional, you know, because I'm not going to see these players again. And we're, we're kind of putting a bow on their story. Like Kim's story was I played a flawless game my first time. I come back this time. I had to play from the bottom, which I never had to deal with before. It was humbling. And I learned to fight through that. And I'm proud of what I accomplished. And then Amber's story is I came back out here for him. You know, people said I shouldn't have won. Rob should have won my season. And I wanted him to have that support so he can go and do it because I believe more in him. And then Rob is saying, well, you know, she's the strongest woman I know. So it was very powerful for sure and it's just it was hard to watch not because it was bad but just because it was so tough as a fan to realize i'm not going to see most of these people ever again yeah i agree and part of the reason this season has been so hyped up and i personally love the season so much it's not just because of the plethora of big moves but it's just so fun watching these 20 these 20 players that we've been able to that we've been able to see for so long and really understand them as people and getting this personal element was something that I really loved. It was so cool to see their stories come full circle, hear about how they changed as people throughout the game and how Survivor had an impact on them. So really awesome moment. Yeah, and two people I want to highlight from this. Well, first of all, Jeff, I know you mentioned that, like Jeff mentioned this, we've had emotional connections throughout the years to all of these you know, players, you know, I'm sure, you know, all of us as fans, we you know follow them on social media. You know, we idolize them in a way. And just to see that their journeys on Survivor could potentially coming to an end was a extremely bittersweet moment, as you did mention it. And just two more people I wanted to highlight was first where Tyson was discussing that, you know, he felt like going in when he first applied for Survivor, um, right when he got on his first season, he realized, you know, I, I have a weird range of skill sets and Survivor is really the one that encompasses them all and how it's helped him to turn into a great father. And now that he's a father, he feels like, he could finally move on to something else rather than just survivor. And then there's Ethan who obviously we all know his story where how he was, you know, as Jeff described it on the edge of life um, battling cancer. And, you know, he overcame that as he mentioned, partially because of survivor, because they raised so much money to, to help, to help find a drug that was able to cure his type of cancer. And he made it all the way back to the point where he could compete on survivor again. And so, you know, just huge props to both of them, two amazing players and they both had great speeches also. And I don't want to I don't want to leave out the one person else who spoke, Poverty, who in, on the season was leaving a newborn baby to come out and play. Um, and it was it was definitely great to see her back as well this season. Yeah. Again, just to put a bow on this part so we can move on to the rest of the episode. I think that not only was this so amazing just from these players, but like, you know, like Poverty said, she had to leave a newborn baby and in a way you almost you can't say yes because you have the baby but you almost can't say no i think that 
it'll be argued whether the season winners at war is, you know, the best, is it top five, is it, is it top 10, Where, wherever you want to rank it. I think we all can say that this is hands down the best cast. Like we will never get a cast like this ever again. I am, a, I'm one of the biggest heroes versus villains fans. And even that cast falls slightly below this one. This is an iconic season of not just survivor, but TV reality and history. So that was like a nice culmination of the show itself. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I want to, I want to jump past battle back now and get right into the game. First, I want to start out by what Natalie did as soon as she got back to camp. Obviously, being somebody in Natalie's position like Chris Underwood was, when you spent so much time on the edge of, extinct, edge of extinction, and especially like with people knowing that Chris had won and it being so controversial, Natalie had an uphill battle right away. As Rob said in the final Tribal Council, she needed to play an absolutely perfect game to have a chance of winning. And I think that right when she came back, she... Played, she played the right way in terms of just being like every single person thinks that Tony's going to win the game. Every single person thinks that Tony's playing the best game. That was the only way she could have gone. And I do have to give her props for that. Um, what did you guys think of, you know, the whole dynamic in the, in the six people left once she did come back? Half, you want to go? Sure. So it was smart. But uh, but Dylan, I think you texted me. It was expected as well. Right. It's pretty much what she, it's pretty much exactly what she had to do to even stand a fighting chance. Something I thought that was interesting was she said it right in front of Tony. I think that if I were in her shoes, I probably would have pulled Sarah or Ben to the side and pitched it to them so I could have a conversation with them because obviously they wouldn't have turned they wouldn't have turned on Tony right in front of him. So I thought that was interesting, but. Yeah, it was it was predictable to see that from her. It was it was what she had to do. Yeah, and you really saw Sarah struggling to believe. Well, do I believe Natalie and maybe jump ship on Tony, or do I think that Natalie is playing the game to like because she has to do it now? The truth is that she was it w- was both 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 of what Sarah said was correct. She said you know Natalie was playing the game by doing that, but the truth was clearly that also everyone did think that Tony was playing the best game. And I think that this was, I also, and we'll talk a ton about it as we go. This was a very, very heavy Sarah episode um, for a lot of different reasons that we'll get into here, but this was the very beginning of it. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, following that you have, so jur- so jury thinks Tony's the best Sarah has to believe it or not. And then you have the immunity challenge. Um, similar. So you had the slide similar to other very epic, uh, challenges that we have seen in the past, but a kind of a combination of both. And you have Michelle winning immunity there. That was a absolutely shocking challenge. And I thought it was very funny how Jeff kind of foreshadowed it as Michelle was lagging behind. And Jeff's like, come on, Michelle, you know this challenge, you know this puzzle. She had done this puzzle in her season. And that's how we got kicked off basically with this with this finale in the first immunity with Michelle winning. So I thought that was incredibly impressive to start out. I don't know about you guys, but I did, I didn't love that. She had, a huge, she had a huge advantage with the puzzle. So I think, I think based on, so y- yes, I agree. But at the same time, each, each challenge this season has been from a certain season that has been played. So for example, right. for example, Jeremy theoretically could have got to the end and that probably would have been the challenge no matter what in the final four. You, you know what I mean? So I think that throughout, right. throughout the season, since they have been doing it, yes, it was an advantage to her, but certain players have had an advantage in challenges that they had run already this season. And also props to her. What did, what did she film? Five, 
five years ago at this point, four years ago at this point, and she remembered pretty much the puzzle exactly to a T, which is impressive nonetheless. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I've read some interviews before, and I'm pretty sure that you know the challenges are all planned out and predetermined, so it's not being placed to help Michelle, of course. Um, and again, I also thought that Michelle was going to win this challenge. The minute I saw the puzzle, you basically, if you've done a puzzle before, you know how it works again. It's just ingrained in your mind. So even though she was falling behind there, I easily saw her winning. The biggest thing I wonder is when they um, started the challenge, did Jeff say we're going to draw for spots or he just said, we'll get started. Cause if you can choose your, um, if you can choose your station first, I got to think you go with the, the planks first. Cause even though it'll take you the longest time, you get that out of the way and then you can zip across the other two. I, I know that Michelle was the last of the puzzle, but that could be a knock on Michelle. I feel like if you have to, to choose between the rope bridge and then the little plant, the little um, stepping stools and then the planks, I feel like you start with the longest one and just knock it out of the way. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, it's kind of a similar thing with Kelly Wentworth and her season that we were talking about how you do the hardest mm -hmm. one first. I would assume they would have drew, drawn for spots. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would assume so. But uh, this, this whole thing where, where you had Michelle with immunity Natalie with an idol that was the you had four four people against two so you had Tony Sarah Ben Denise against Michelle and Natalie and the crazy thing here is that Natalie was safe as long as she played her idol and Michelle was safe because she had immunity so now we have the big strategic moment for the first big strategic moment of the finale and as usual, Tony sniffed it right out to a T. He knew that Natalie was going to have some sort of advantage because I, I, I want to throw this, throw this at you, Ryan, because I think you'd remember it. Did Chris have an advantage coming back from Edge at Final Six? Yes. Oh, I need to talk about this. Oh my goodness, the bad foreshadowing was heavy here. Chris Underwood. Listen, history will repeat itself. And when Chris Underwood comes back with an idol or an advantage, I think he came back with the half idol and he had to give it to somebody, or maybe Rick Devins came back with it. Or he came back with an idol. He came back with something for sure. Yes, he did. He did because he held on to his idol, had Lauren play her idol on him, and then he played it at Final Five. So he did. That sets a precedence. If you know Chris comes back with something, you have to assume Natalie comes back with something. And even if you don't know Chris came back with something, the fact that she beasted it out on Extinction and she got all these advantages, you got to figure maybe she bought something to come back into the game with as well. So I was floored here you guys when i see ben and sarah saying she doesn't have it she doesn't have it they almost screwed tony's win out of this and we see you know ben and sarah go out back to back later but i was floored hearing ben say oh she doesn't have it and then sarah and listen i love sarah i'm a big sarah defender i think sarah proved herself to be an all-time great player but sorry lucina sorry um <laughs> but when you're saying, oh, I think that after one day of her being back, she would have told me. Now, granted, I know she could argue they told me to say that or it was like I, I had to say both sides in the confessional. So it was kind of like edited weird. But when you're saying to us that I thought she would have told me for sure because we had that, that social bond, I just could not believe the bad reads that Mich um, Sarah and Ben had on this. What, yeah. what have I been saying, boys? What have I been saying? What she overweights her social game so much. No, I don't know. No. Okay, I think she has a great social game. She definitely well, she, she credited her social game with being a hundred percent sure Natalie didn't have an idol. Well, 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 well Hef, I what I my counter to that is I think that 
I think that she lost she lost the game on this move first of all based on what we saw following that. So that is a I guess this was a, that was a fail in her social game to not read this. But also the reason that she also the reason that Ben ended up going home there and she made the vote without Tony telling her is because Ben felt close enough to Sarah to agree to, to well, dip out. So I I know I don't want to like go completely out of chronolo- chronological order and completely jump forward here, but while she failed socially the first vote, her so her strong social game was showed the next vote. But I want to I want to keep can I, can I say something real fast about that? Yeah, go for it. I don't think she has a bad social game. I think she's a good social player. But she touts herself over and over and over as a phenomenal social player. And even before her, even in her first confessional in season 34, after she got voted out like 10th or something in Kagiyan, she said, my, my social game's phenomenal. She's been saying that even before she won. She's a good social game, but I would not be bragging about it over and over, especially when you make a what could have been a huge, huge blunder on her part. Yeah, I mean, I, I did end up thinking, I, I, I think it was a huge blunder because, and, and there's no doubt about that because, so first of all, here's what I want to talk about with this move. I think what made Tony so amazing this season, obviously he got no votes the entire time. How did he downplay his threat level? I'll tell you how he downplayed his threat level. It's because at moments like this, when he knew 100% that Natalie had an idol and Ben and Sarah were so adamant against this, he kind of just sat back. Even if it yeah. put him at, even even if it put him at a tougher tougher hand going forward, he kind of just sat back. Whereas if we watch Kagiyan, Tony, or Game Changers, Tony, I think that for sure he would have gone crazy, maybe even flipped on Ben and Sarah or done something completely out of the, like completely crazy to just screw them three up. And here he just realized, all right, this is going to make my path harder. But if it makes Tony and if it makes uh, Ben and Sarah happy, it's something that I'm going to have to do and sacrifice. And in the end, Sarah ends up beating, uh, Tony ends up beating Sarah and fire. Um, but as Tony mentioned, if Ben and Tony were able to save their idols for final five, everything could have turned everything could have turned out a little bit differently. And I think that Sarah ends up sitting in the end with Tony tonight. But um, yeah, I, I think I just I think everything could have changed from that very moment. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a blunder by Ben and Sarah, and just another testament to how good Tony has played this game so far. So. Because of an and it was, I believe, what the second no vote, no vote tribal ever we ended up getting. Yeah, technically, for following the Cambodia precedent, then yes, this is the second time there's been, you know, no votes for anybody. Um, and I really want to break down this tribal, but before that, we were talking about, you know, Sarah had a bad read here, Ben also had a terrible read here, and I think this is just proving to me that even if he did get to the end, even though he sacrifices himself at five would have been a zero vote finalist. When you're saying that my first season, I was all about aggressiveness and playing hard. And I wasn't really focused on the relationships. So this time I'm focusing on the social game. I'm a more social player. And I'm seeing a TV show where he's arguing with Rob and with Adam and with Jeremy. And I just, I think the biggest thing you can have in this game, and I, I know we've heard this from a bunch of players before, is self-awareness. I know it's super hard to trust people. It's super hard to know where everything is happening. Like Sarah even said earlier, she can't tell if Natalie's lying or telling the truth from Edge. But the biggest thing that you could have is an internal lens and say, I have an awareness. I'm arguing with people. Maybe I'm not being very really social right now. And I just can't believe that they both thought she didn't have an idol. And then Ben's out here saying, 
I'm playing a lot better socially this time. That just ugh, shocking. Yeah, and I just I want to clarify to what I said. I may have been a little bit unclear, but if if they just originally voted Denise, right? Denise goes home, which was the same result, but Ben and Tony still have their idols. Yeah. So at the next tribal council, um, Ben would have possibly used an idol to save himself, or Tony would have used an idol to save himself, unless they put the votes on Sarah, but you don't know if they would have played it for her, an idol. And then with Natalie playing the, Natalie playing the idol that she found, Michelle would have been the one to go home in all likelihood because they had the numbers, even if there was some type of revote. Michelle would have been the one going home. And then three of Ben, Tony, and Sarah would have been sitting with Natalie at the final four. So the odds of Sarah making the the uh, the final three would have gone up tremendously had they had li- had they listened to Tony there. And I I completely understand that Sarah felt like she needed to take some sort of control because you know, especially with Natalie feeding her information that's coming from the edge that people see Tony is playing a better game. I understand the need for Sarah to be so adamant on something, but this was just once again, a perfect read by Tony and a misplay by Sarah and Ben. No, absolutely. Yeah. And then we move right on. After oh, Hold on. Go for it. I wanted to talk about that tribal. One more, one more thing. Speaking of misplays. Oh, oh yes. Okay. Yeah. I know what you're doing. Um, here. Okay. Yeah. So why did michelle and natalie not put two votes on sarah so they would go to rocks well fire 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 right okay that i good thing you brought that up because i almost skipped past that and i had a mental note to mention that so i have a feeling that um this is going to be a huge topic of conversation especially because you know from our from our tvs from us viewing at home we all saw Sarah as a bigger threat than Denise. Maybe they didn't see that because Denise had gotten out Sandra already. I think that the bond between Sarah and Natalie that we saw Sarah play up, um, uh, obviously play up too much because she thought that Natalie would have told her, but I think that that bond was strong enough to keep Sarah there for one more day just because maybe Natalie thought that there was still a chance that she could get Sarah to work with her to blindside somebody else. That's, that's my read on it. I don't know what you guys think. I'll take that. I accept that. I believe it. So my read on it is, I mean, we didn't see a Sarah and Natalie relationship. The only thing we heard was Sarah saying we have a relationship. My biggest read, and this was, by the way, this was great TV in terms of repeating the Cambodia final six, where you have no votes for anybody. And then kind of like an idol train where one has immunity Three played an idol, and now you're down to two. So it's really intense here. So I did love this moment. Um, the strategy here, Dylan, I got to think their perception in the game is Denise is more liked by the jury, I think. Denise slayed the queen. Denise is has an amazing social game. Mm-hmm. I feel like they probably were more scared of... Denise, and I do think this is a strategic blunder. I was reading people's opinions on Twitter. I have my own thoughts on this. This is a blunder here. If you know this is a tight threesome of Tony, Sarah, and Ben with Denise as their four as a foursome, you gotta take this shot here. You have to take the shot now. Um, I know they might have been afraid of Denise more than Sarah, and maybe Sarah had those bonds to save her, but I think this was a mistake for Michelle's game. You, you have to take the shot at Sarah there when you have that. Yeah. I, I, I think that's definitely possible because I know that everyone definitely saw Denise as a threat and they had known the move she made on Sandra. So I think that, that that matters. But at the same time, something just tells me that because 
the goal of Natalie was to eventually break up that alliance, but I do think at this point she still thought that she could use Sarah as a number at some point. So that is my read on it. And if if so, Hef, that's a huge testament to Sarah's social game. If yep. somehow a bond from the first two days carried over all the way to lead her being safe for one more vote. Um, but, I, you know, we have so much more to talk about. I do want to move on. So next we have another immunity challenge. And just remi- what, remind me, what, what was the challenge in Final Five? Final Five challenge? Yeah. involving water. Oh yeah, right. this was a um, this was a. I don't know if we've seen this exact challenge before, but it was very cut and dry. Just you know, swimming, jumping, and then a little carnival game of throwing the sandbag. Um, I mean, it was very simple and very straightforward. I actually was pleased that Tony won this because Tony has said in the past that he's not the best in the water, so I'm glad he managed to come back and do well. I mean, granted, when you're throwing a sandbag, it's like a carnival game; anybody can really win it, but. No, it was pretty straightforward to the point, giving our boy his uh, fourth immunity win. And wait, hold on. Before before we go deeper into the tribal, I did miss that we left out the right before they had that huge idol hunt where they put an idol back into the game since Natalie had already played it. Ben had already played mm-hmm. his. Tony had already played his. Tony failed to find the idol and Natalie did find it. I'm a little bit surprised um, they threw an idol back in at final five like that. Um but you know it is it is feasible just because you you could play it at final five and all three idols did go. I don't want to spend too much time on the idol search because Natalie did find it and there's not nothing more to that until we talk about tribal council. But back to um, the immunity, yeah i I knew that who that's that sandbag those whenever they have those landing the sandbags on the perch, especially two of them, that looks so near impossible. Like I, you could have been the slowest person in the water ever, and you would have had a chance as long as you got to that mat. If you're going to cornhole, do you have an advantage at this challenge? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. But you also have to you also have enough have to have enough arc to have it perfect. All out the arc. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, but uh, Tony does end up winning that challenge, which is obviously huge because I know that Ben, Sarah, and Ben, Sarah, and Tony had a three-two numbers advantage. But had Tony lost that challenge, I think that Ben. And we don't know about this because of what happened with Ben and Sarah, but I think that Ben would have had to seriously mull flipping over to Tony, uh, flipping over to vote out Tony at this point. So this is an extremely crucial win for Tony. And I think that at this point in the game, Ben kind of realized that he wasn't going to win against any. And I, I don't, I don't agree with this. Um, it's definitely an interesting arc for Ben and an interesting end to his story. I think Ben sat there and realized that he was not going to win against pretty much anybody left. Um, Maybe aside from, and I mean, Natalie got more votes than I expected in the end, but maybe that's what he thought. And he thought that at least if I go out like this, then Sarah or Tony will have a better chance to win than somebody like Michelle or Natalie. So he figured that he kind of like sacrificed himself, which was a really weird move to see in a game of all winners for $2 million dollars. I want to get your takes on this. Uh, Ben's kind of always been seen as somebody who lacked social game, um, you know, did get into fights with so- several people this season, but he really did value the relationship between him and Sarah to the point where he gave up his game for Sarah's, for Sarah's, just like that. Like, I, I want to get your takes on this. That was a huge move, something we definitely haven't really seen before. F? I thought it was crazy. I don't know, I don't know about you guys. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was naive 
I think that so first of all, there was a non-zero chance he ended up in the final tribal council with Michelle and Natalie would not have been ruled out of the question that he could have won in that situation. So I think that was a reason that it was dumb. And also by going out fifth, instead of maybe let's say coming in third place and getting zero votes, he probably gave up like a hundred thousand dollars. So I know he put a re- an emphasis on how he grew as a person in this season. He formed a lot of good relationships, good friendships, and that is more valuable than money. But at the end of the day, he is on, he is on survivor. He's on a game show to try to win $2 million or any, any kind of prize he can. And I think that just going out on his own volition is pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I'm a competitor. I'm not a fan of anybody, you know, quitting or falling on the sword, but I mean, this wasn't a strategic ploy. We see Ben giving a confessional with tears in his eyes saying, you know, I really felt for Sarah. My heart goes out to her. She's my friend. I want to prove to people that, you know, I do care more about like my relationships than this game. Again, I don't agree with this as a winner and somebody, somebody representing your season, but you know, he obviously is a really great person. He's a Marine Ben deserves all the respect in the world. Um, it was just, it was hard to watch. Honestly, it was just tough, but I do give him, you know, respect in some other different way other than falling on the sword. Before we get to travel, though, we have to talk about the final act of the spy mess, paying massive dividends for Tony here. Um, also, I almost had a heart attack because when Tony was climbing up, we saw like a leaf or like a branch fall on <laughs> the ground. I thought that was his shoe at first. And I'm like, now we going to see his shoe on the ground and say, why is Tony's shoe under that tree? I, there was a split second chance I thought Tony could get caught here. Um, but yeah, let's hear your guys' thoughts on the last act of the uh, spy nest. I mean, the fact that everyone has no, everyone knows about Tony's spy shack in season 28 spy bunker in season 34. And then he was able to pull out, pull off a spy treehouse or spy nest without getting caught all season is absolutely insane. And I just, I think about it. Like he actually, like he, he was so close with Sarah to the point where Sarah was helping him get information like through the spy nest and every single time he would go up there he'd be like oh sarah like bring people over here to to talk about it i thought for a split second that natalie was gonna just look up in the tree and he was gonna be there i was not because she was like looking around they kept weirdly like putting the camera on her turns out they put it on her because she put the idol in her buff which was on her wrist and sarah noticed it right away what did you guys think of the whole natalie hiding it in her on her wrist and then tony you know tony wanted to vote natalie out but he finds out that she has the idol and then you know, this was all this all happened before Ben kind of gave himself up. So I want to get your reads on all this. So I have a couple comments. First of all, Bird, can you highlight Andrew Heffler's comment in the uh, in the chat? Uh, as much as I love the Spy Nest, it's amazing TV. It's great content as a viewer. I think it's a little overrated. I don't want to downplay Tony because I love him. He's my second favorite winner. But at the end of the day, he's close with Sarah, and he doesn't need to be spying on these conversations because Sarah is the one that is initiating them having them and she can easily just report back at the beach saying this is what they said this is what they're planning on doing he's not getting any different intel than she's getting so just a thought i had there and speaking of the idol that natalie gave away pretty much i don't know why she was willing to do that she can compl- well she, she didn't give it away she played it for herself but well no, no she gave away that she oh, okay, yes yes something. yes so I don't know why she did that. I If I was trying to get Sarah to flip in that situation, um, 
if, if I, I guess if I did show her the idol, I would have said, look, there's a 50-50 chance I'm playing it for Michelle or myself. So that means there's a 50-50 chance you go home. So you have to, you have to assume that you're going to guess right here. And I think that the way that she went about strategizing here and trying to get Sarah to flip with her was completely wrong. I would have said, look, I'm playing this for me or Michelle. You guys are going to have to guess right or you're going home. Yeah. I mean, it goes on. I was going to say, yeah, I I don't understand why they weren't targeting Sarah here because like they they were targeting Ben. um, But had they put votes on Sarah... I like she she could have theoretically uh went home had they had the idol been played correctly like I that that I didn't necessarily understand and then to talk about your point half about the spy nest I think that yes Sarah would tell him information but just to play devil's advocate here it's almost a way to Tony for Tony to ensure that he's getting truthful information for Sarah like double double check himself I should say so that that is what I think it's more for but yeah go go ahead Ryan I I want to hear your thoughts on why Ben was the target here and not Sarah. If you're thinking, yeah. if you're thinking in terms of Natalie and Michelle. You know, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because not only was it, a, this is the, like the last vote of the season, but also everybody in the chat is analyzing it as well, which we love to see. Um, I mean, just really quickly, quickly to address Hef's point. I do agree. I mean, it is goofy. It is gimmicky. I know it's not like the most strategical thing we see on the show, but it's great TV. I love to see it. Um, and I do think that Dylan brings up a good also addendum to it that, you know, it does double check information and cross checks. So I do like it for that reason. There is some strategy. It's not the best thing in the world because it is kind of goofy, but I still like it as a viewer. Um, the strategy here, I thought this was very interesting from a lot of perspectives. For one, I got to think the reason they vote Ben here, Dylan, is because they're scared of Ben at fire. I mean, I guess, right. yeah, you know, you want to break up that threesome. You easily could put votes on Sarah to break up her and Tony there. And, and then, but the problem is, you put Ben to fire there and Ben likely wins. Now, granted, you could say, well, then what the counterpoint is, why don't we take out Sarah? And then if Ben doesn't win the final immunity, we put him to fire against Tony. He takes out Tony for us. It's a possibility. Um, So I guess the reason they vote Ben there is because they're scared of him at fire, but I think they actually could have used him as a weapon personally. Um, And then as for why Sarah votes Ben out here, I do think someone mentioned this in the chat earlier, but I do think it was a blunder because... I mean, we see then Sarah get put to fire in the next vote. You have to know at this point, if Michelle's on the outs and Natalie's with her, if there's a 50% chance you or Tony win the final immunity, and there's a 50% chance that Sarah and Michelle and Natalie win immunity. If one of them win, they're bringing each other, and then you go to fire. I know the episode was teasing, oh, who will she bring with her? It was going to be Natalie the whole time. And I feel like if Sarah votes Ben here, which she did... She's putting the two pairs against each other 50-50, whereas, yeah, maybe you're more scared of Ben and Fire, but you have Ben in there, and you likely don't go into the Fire there. So I was interested in the perspective of both Sarah voting Ben out here, and then Natalie and Michelle targeting Ben over Sarah. And I, I think that's a completely interesting point, because like you said, it would have been, if they had voted out Michelle, instead it would have been a 75% chance that one of them three win immunity and then probably well you're, you're you're sending you're sending even even natalie would have sent ben to would have sent ben over sarah to fire so that sh- so that he could take out tony because he's the best at fire so i thought it was a very interesting decision by sarah um but at the same at the same time 
Um, and I, I also think it's an interesting decision by Michelle and Natalie, because maybe you want Ben to be there to, for potential fire. Um, but at the same time, I think that Natalie drove it into Sarah's head so, so much that she had to make a move. And she felt like she, that maybe this was something that she was going to sell at the end that I did make a move without Tony. So I think that that was really, really the thing that was drilled into her head at the end, even though it was, didn't end up being the right thing. We also yeah. had a big speech in this tribal. What is that? We also had a big speech in this tribal. The Sarah. the Sarah, yes. I I thought that I thought I personally thought that was a I thought it was a very good speech. I, I think there were so many like great like great moments, great speeches, great confessionals in this thing. I really like it, and I think that it was very very funny when she was like, "You could call me Lucina instead of Sarah." Like that that was all like great. Like I I love all that stuff. Like. And I know that, you know, there are tons of people out there that think it's reality TV and these are not real moments. Like these are very, very real moments like on the show. And I think it's great whenever we see somebody have a reaction like that. And especially when you get Jeff who completely felt it and understood and like the jury you could tell was very into it. I, I love those type of moments. What do you guys think? Um, it was a very good moment. No doubt about it. But I, I feel obligated to play a devil's advocate on this one. It's I really don't think it was about sexism. I mean, there there is a double standard in the survivor world where if where women don't get credited with going behind people's backs as much as men do, there's definitely that going on. But in Sarah's case right here, like you, you are not playing a stronger game than Tony. No one is underestimating the game you're playing. Tony just happens to be playing arguably the best that's ever been played in 40 seasons. So please don't make this about gender. Of course that does exist, but that is not what's happening here. Also, I think it's worth pointing out in season 34 that she she said that she was discredited because of the dirty game she played. Well, her biggest competition in the fi final tribal council was Brad Culpepper, who played a really, really dirty game, and that's why he lost. He won four or five individual immunities in a row, but at the end of the day, he ended up losing because of his dirty style of play so i again i completely acknowledge the fact that there is a double standard going on in survivor and we've seen it often we've seen it often but in this particular case i do not think it held a lot of strength yeah i i want to comment on that i actually i i agree with you in the sense that i don't think that it was the case that people were favoring tony because he was a man like i don't think that that was a thing i, I think i legitimately think that tony was playing a better game but what I think here is that I think that Sarah did bring attention to a good issue, regardless of whether it applies this season. Um, sure. it, def it definitely does apply to past seasons. And Jeff Probst did admit that like, well, maybe I was, you know, calling women by their first name and men by their last name, or maybe I, maybe, you know, language is used towards women differently than men in this game. So I do think that it was definitely a great issue to bring up. That was awesome that. that Jeff admitted it. Right. I, I love that. That's why I think yeah. it a great moment whether or not it applies in the season or doesn't you know i i totally agree i feel like it wasn't just cool how he said it but the fact that they also showed it and i think it's something that fans often i mean some fans feel one way some fans feel the other way i know i follow a bunch of different people on twitter people who feel one of one way and one of the other and some people do feel like he does give that preferential treatment or if he had his way the winner of the season would be somebody wearing a boston hat so i mean i mean some people do feel that way so i'm happy that jeff did acknowledge it um and then as for sarah's speech about this in the final six i just feel like i mean you know it's true though i mean and for the most part you know 
if it's you know the male female duo the male gets the uh credits and i again i do see what hef is saying here that you know tony was playing such a baller game and you have to respect game game respects game um but i mean sarah's right and unfortunately we, we do see a precedent set in the past where in survivor history where if you know the female makes this move you know she's like known as like the black widow or she's known as somebody who is very cunning and conniving and there are those unfortunate stereotypes and i think that sarah did such a great job of trying to highlight that and it was a good you know character moment and i think the show also did a good job at trying to give a come from behind narrative i mean the whole season we saw the pre-merge tony getting these funny moments he was more quiet and then in the post-merge tony did an amazing job in the game and i think going into this finale we all were saying oh tony's got this it's not even a contest he's our winner here they were giving us a lot of great Sarah moments other than her bad read on yep. Natalie's Idol. But we saw the, the jury whispering to each other and saying, oh, wow, that was that was really cool. Now she has a last name. She's bringing up good points here. Adam's whispering to Sophie. I think they presented a really interesting false narrative that maybe Sarah, if she beats Tony here, could have been our winner tonight. And I, yeah, one more thing that I do want to comment on this. Uh, I think that a lot of people think that Sarah has been under edited this season, mostly because she was overshadowed by Tony, who's just as you know crazy and of course going to get a lot of screen time. And I do want to mention that, in my opinion, I think Sarah played a very, very good game, especially you know if her if her intention was to go to the end with Tony the entire way, um, you know she fell one fire making well one I guess you could say immunity at the end short of that happening. Um, and I really do think that her, you know, a lot of people say her social game and her, the game that Sarah plays is very hard to edit at times, you know, especially when you're playing next to Tony, who, you know, is going to get a ton of time on the TV. Um, but yeah, I really do think that Tony, uh, that Sarah played a great season. And even though she did make a few blunders tonight, which, you know, that could have changed everything. Um, I, I'm happy that, you know, people, you know, even a speech like that, I'm happy that people could recognize that. And that's why I think it was very important. Mm-hmm. But uh, to move on, we have, after Ben gets voted out uh, in final five, we have a classic final four immunity challenge, one that we saw in second chance, token teens, and then I don't know when the other time it was played. They said it had been played three times previously. I'm not sure if you remember, Ryan. Uh, um, I know for a fact it was Cambodia and it was um, JT's season. Oh, Nick. Nick, Nick. Nick won this in his final season. Right, so it has been played sooner, in Cam- uh, sooner than Cambodia, but... Yeah. I think it's a classic. I love it. I always say if I were to be on it, like if you lose concentration for one second when there's like four or five balls going, you're done. And I was like, all right, Tony is like, Tony's like, Tony has the, like, he's crazy, but like he has focus when he needs to. So I thought Tony was going to come on with the challenge. Ends up that Natalie ends up uh, winning it. And I have to say, we have seen Michelle play great when it comes to, when it comes to like endurance challenges and maybe even puzzles. I was extremely impressed. Michelle, I was so sold that Michelle was going to win that. She looked so calm for the most part. And then you had Natalie, who I saw somebody on Twitter was like, oh, it was Odell Beckham out there, like making these like miraculous saves and catches on the, with the balls. So I, I, that was, I, I always love that challenge with final four. I thought it was great. No, I, yeah, no, this is a great final cha- challenge. I mean, I, I would love if I had my pickings to have the final challenge of the season be that big epic challenge, you know, where they're going for all the bags and they solve the puzzle or in heroes versus villains, Russell makes his way through the maze and he gets the necklace at the end. I would rather have a big ending, but a classic like this, this immunity challenge where it's all about the focus is really intense for the viewer. So I do like it there, 
Um, and Natalie, hands down, is just a beast in terms of winning all these challenges and advantages on Extinction and then coming back here and, like you said, Odell Beckham almost fumbling but making these miraculous saves. Um, Natalie, in every sense of the word, is just a beast. She definitely represents the outplay part of Survivor. And listen, I thought for sure here that, you know, as soon as Tony's ball dropped, I had flashbacks to Kelly in Cambodia. I'm like, oh, God, if Tony can't when the i mean granted back then fire making didn't exist but if he can't pull a rabbit out of his hat or make fire tony's gone here so that was kind of cool too and i'm so i want to say quick before we get into the whole decision about the fire making i'm so thankful for fire making because oh, your game really? your, your game should not come down to a drop ball if you've played a perfect game like tony haven't got a single vote all time it should not come to down to one immunity challenge you should have an opportunity to still play your way into the final four even if you drop a ball and i know that's that's my reasoning for the fire making that's why i think that's why i like it um of course you know a lot of people a lot of traditionalists say well survivor's not played like that but to me if you're in the final four and you've played a great game up to that point your fate should not come down to one single challenge when there's so much, it's so much bigger than that, the game. And that's why I think that fire making is so useful. At least this season definitely was. <laughs> I agree hundred percent. I, I actually have the counterpoint to both of you guys on this. Um, and listen, again, I would be a hypocrite if I said this, because if, if Tony doesn't have the fire making, Tony likely gets voted out there. So who am I to say Fire making isn't great when Tony Vlachos is our next two-time winner. So I love it for saving Tony here. I guess I am a traditionalist. I just feel like, you know, yes, Dylan, you're right. I do agree that if you've played such an amazing game and you lose one challenge, it really hurts to be that robbed. Like like the, the David Wright or the Kelly, like to be the fallen angel and get fourth place. It hurts them and it hurts us as viewers. Um, but I do think this game really also is about managing your threat level. Adam actually tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, and I I think I saved it, but I had to go back and find it. Um, I like how it does help great players get to the end, but I will say the counterpoint is that you have to manage your threat level where if everyone thinks you're playing the best game, you're not playing the smartest game. Like You have to manage your threat level where, listen, if you are playing a great game, but nobody knows you are because you're in the passenger seat and they're driving. They'll take you to the end no matter what, because you've played the best game, but they also will never vote you out. Like Sarah in game changers is an ex example where she was not getting, going to get voted out. So she managed her threat level pretty well there or somebody else that won. I need to go back and think of examples that managed their threat level really well. And I just feel like even though it helped Tony here, so I'm so grateful for that. If you're doing a great job to not be the biggest target on the board, that's when you're playing the best game, I would say. So my quick counterpoint for that is that sometimes when you're a returning player, um, your threat level is can't could only be managed to a certain point. So I think that he, Tony did an amazing job of managing threat level all season. When you're in a final four, there's not really a place to hide. So that that would be my counterpoint to that. I understand right. that that viewpoint, but um, I'm extremely happy. Maybe maybe in a you know maybe in a place where they only had it in returning seasons but i i think it generally helps everybody because if you get a person who has to play a certain way in order to get to the final four they shouldn't be penalized because they drop a ball uh, to to that large large of a level um but yeah that's that's just my thought what did you guys think of the decision of natalie to not pull a chris underwood and not make fire against tony um and at the same time he it seems like michelle was maybe the best person that was that was there that, that can make fire. 
And she did not even send Michelle to go against Tony or she didn't send herself. She sent Sarah. What did you guys think of Natalie's decision to put Tony and Sarah against each other um, compared to other moves she could have made? Um, half, you want to go first? Sure. So I, I think she made the worst possible move here. I, I think that regardless of whether it was Sarah or Tony, Natalie would have lost. So, but at the end of the day, you got to get the biggest threat out for sure. And Michelle definitely was better at making fire. So if you want to get Tony out, I definitely would have put Mich- Michelle up against him. But if I was her, I would have definitely, definitely gone up against Tony myself because I I don't think that I, if I'm Natalie, I don't think I'm going to win against Sarah or Tony. And I just said that, but you need to have that bigger point on your resume. And if you lose against Tony, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. Or if you beat Tony, maybe you have a chance to beat Sarah. I really don't think Sarah going against Tony was the move there. And another thing I thought about, maybe if Tony beats Michelle, Sarah and Tony split votes a little bit because they're working together so much that made it, made an avenue for Natalie to take, the, to take the win there. I really think that that she chose the worst possible outcome. I, I half agree. I do I do think that if you're looking at the board and Michelle's the best fire maker, you put her against Tony. I agree with you there, half. In terms of her putting herself in there, like pulling at Chris Underwood, I just don't... I mean, listen, Chris went balls to the wall. I give him a lot of respect for that. But I just... As somebody who was trying to win money out there for myself and my family, I can't imagine ever putting myself at risk and harm's way. I think Dominic said this back when people asked him, well, why didn't you put yourself into fire to take out Wendell? He's like, because my wife would have wrung my neck. Like I, I would have been dead if I put myself to fire and then I got and, and then I lost and got fourth place. I think the biggest argument I see is that you can't win the game if you're not there. And I think that, yeah, you have to make sure your biggest competition, Tony, isn't there. If that was the case, she should have put Michelle to fire instead of Sarah. And I do think, Hef, you bring up a good point where maybe if they play a similar game, they would have split the votes. Kind of like how Parv and Russell split the votes. I mean, Russell got no votes. But basically, other people have split the votes when they play similar games. So I think that she should have put Michelle in there. But I totally agree with her that it's especially if you think that you can't win in fire and you're going to get fourth place after you fought so hard on the edge, I can't blame her for not putting herself into fire here. Here's what I think about that. I think that, you know, Rob kind of hit the nail on the head and said, you had to play a perfect game. Uh, Natalie had to play a perfect game when she came back in order to win. Uh, I think that the perfect game would have been her taking down Tony and then going up against Michelle and Sarah. However, I I, I don't really think, I don't think she would have beat Sarah. Maybe she would have. It would have depended on the jury's outlook at Sarah compared to Tony. But I have a feeling that even if Sarah was viewed um, as playing not as good of a game as Tony, I still think she would have mustered up enough votes to beat um, Natalie. Um, and at the same time, I also think that you have to be honest with yourself in that if you're Natalie. Like, if you don't think that you're good enough at fire to beat to beat Tony, you can't put yourself in that position to just lose the game. So I feel like you have to give yourself a chance if you know that you're going to lose that. Uh, that being said, like if Michelle was the best, I, I don't, I don't. I, that that being said, I would have rather have her have been honest if that was her real reasoning. At the final tribal, she said she wanted to see the end of the. Yeah, I was not buying that. that. I I don't. I wasn't really buying that. I think she should have just been straight up honest and been like, I thought like even if even if either honest or just even told a lie, like she should have said, 
I thought Sarah had the best chance to be Tony. So that's why I put it there. I thought she had a yeah. better chance than me. I think it would have gained a lot of respect rather her just like, I thought her answer was kind of weak in that sense. So that, that's well, my I, whole outlook on the, on the Natalie thing. I do agree. My, my question to you is, was she being honest there? Like you think she really wanted to see the end of them or you think she was not telling the truth there? I because I think she was. I think I she think, was I, being, I, I was going to say, I, I think a major basis for her argument coming back was that she was that she, lowered down the she she kind of like destroyed the three the lines of three so i think that was like her main argument she, that's what she wanted to hang her hat on but like that argument was defeated when tony was was still sitting right next to her so that's why i think that she should have chosen a different argument there no no i agree i think she should have chosen a different argument but i also think that that's that's how she actually felt like that emotion yeah, it, that's possible yeah because this makes perfect sense when you think about uh season 30 when mike holloway won did you guys mm -hmm. see season 30 I am unclear. Like I, I don't remember it that well. No, so well, basically, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't remember it that well. But just re, just give a quick recap. Not to give a history lesson because we still have to break down the uh, final tribal. But like basically, that's the season where Mike beasted his way out because he was on the outside. Right, right, right. That's yeah. because his blue collar group turned against him. Like the Rodney, Sierra, Dan, they all flipped on Mike. And when he gets to the final six, he's like, I can go with Sierra and Rodney and Dan, and have all blue collars at the end. Or I can go with uh, Mama C, Carolyn, and um, Will. I can have a blue collar, a white collar, and a no collar, which I don't know if that's good for my game or not, but I would rather lose to Carolyn than go up against my other blue collars who stab me in the back, and I want to see the end of them. So I feel like it's not the best argument to make, so you're right. I do think that she did honestly feel that way emotionally, which is why she did that. Yeah, and now I want to talk about what was easily one of the most iconic moments in Survivor history, the fire-making challenge between Sarah and Tony. Um, usually when we've seen uh, fire-making fire -making challenges in the past, um, they've, been, they've been blowouts. I can't really remember a fire-making challenge where there were two huge fires going and you legitimately just didn't know which flag was going to raise first, and that was this. And in addition to that, it was the end of cops are us, which has had easily in my opinion, the, one of the best story arcs of any people Alliance, anything throughout survivor. You have season 28 where they had a cops are us Alliance. And then right at the merge, Tony blindsides Sarah the next season. And Tony ends up winning the season. And then the next season that they both play together in game changers, Tony gets voted out second in the season. And then Sarah ends up winning it. And now this season after they've, you know, grown their relationship over all these years they've come back together and it's pretty clear that no matter what they intended to go to try and go to the end together no matter what even if they it screwed up one of their games and that was that was the truth and i just that moment was so it, it was an emotional moment it was a powerful moment it was easily one of the best moments that i've seen on survivor what did you guys think about all that half you have something to say no my was my video messing up no, it, it, you're you're good. Um, Ryan, you go. Sorry, I saw you like raising your hand. I'm like, oh, was he going to make a point here? No, I, I was questioning the the feed on my video. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, Dylan, I completely agree. This was such a powerful moment. Like, I myself was getting very invested and emotional as well. Seeing this is the end of Cups R Us, and it was such an amazing story arc, like you just described. I can't think of a it's as easily a top five story arc. If you're going to go through all the different, you know, duos or alliances or just character moments, this was so great. And then you saw how powerful their bond was. Like Tony could have been like, I beat you and 
I'm going to win now. Thank you very much. That's it. But he was so broken up over having to let Sarah go there. And it, I felt that that was so powerful and sweet because they are best friends and they, like she says, I am the one that has to calm them down. I am the one that has to like rein him back, but that's how their relationship works. So I felt them in that powerful moment there for sure. Definitely a major change from Tony from his winning season to this season. He was cheering when he blindsided people in 28. He, he was upset when he voted out his closest ally, Trish, but he wasn't nearly as emotional. He was completely broken down when he voted out or when he beat out Sarah in that fire making challenge. So very, very cool to see our boy Tony maturing a little bit. Yeah. And he had a, he did have a comment in the final tribal council. I'm not sure if he caught it, but he's like, I'm not the Tony that I was in Kageyama. I'm not the Tony. I was in game changers. I just literally came into the season as Tony as like, as myself. And I think that that is the evolution and adaptability that makes a survivor player. So great is that they realize mistakes that they've made in the past. They real, they have such self-awareness that they could, you know, adapt to any situation that they're given. And in terms of this situation, the end of cops are us. You very, very rarely see Tony get, you know, we've seen Tony almost crying because he, you know, found an idol and he's so happy, but we haven't really seen, we've only seen him break down completely two times out of his three seasons. Once was when his entire family was there for the loved one visits, obviously understandable because every single person broke down. Um, but then the other time was this moment and he couldn't even, he couldn't even, I, I saw people tweeting this video. He couldn't, when they sat down after the challenge was over and Jeff was talking to them, he couldn't even look up and take his, take his head out of his hands. Cause he was just so devastated at the fact that, you know, he did, he was the one to put her out in the end and they couldn't go to the end. Like he was, he, I'm sure he had such a range of emotions. Like he was happy. He probably knew that he had a great chance to win the 2 million. And at the same time, he wasn't going with the person that he intended to go with who ended up being his best friend throughout the game. So I, I just thought it was such a powerful moment. Amazing story arc. I'm going to have to rewatch it as soon as we finish podcasting. Yeah. It truly was amazing. 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 Yeah. And uh, let's, let's get to the final tribal before we get, and I, I know that everyone's been shooting questions throughout this podcast. We are going to go back and put a bunch of the questions up. Um, and yeah, but, but before we do that, I do want to talk about the final tribal council, the way the votes went. What did you guys think about that? I, I was going to say, can you remind me who the four people were that voted for Natalie? Yes, so it was a 12 to 4 vote with Michelle not getting any votes. I side note, I do feel very bad for Michelle. I know Michelle was our, you know, underdog this whole season, but I do feel for her as a former winner not getting a single vote since her whole story was people thought I didn't deserve to win the first time. So, I do love Michelle Michelle, Michelle as a person, so I feel bad for her. Um 12 to 4 vote, the four votes for uh Natalie were Parvati, Tyson, Ethan, and Jeremy. Everybody else voted for um Tony. Yeah, so there are a few things that I think of this. So first of all, um, if we're talking about the way the votes went and not like actual like maybe certain things that might have been said at Tribal, I thought, well, first of all, it just in general, tri- final Tribal Council, I, I saw somebody allude to this on Twitter as well. This is one of the first times where I thought that all three players in the final Tribal Council were extremely, like spoke extremely well, like really, really understood their arguments. Um and I know we were just mentioning that maybe Natalie sort of said something else, but overall, like all three players were great. I think they all made a great case for themselves. And I really do think that all, a lot of the jury members truth, truthfully thought that all three of them played a great game. So that's the first thing. The second thing is 
I am very surprised that Michelle did not get any votes. And I do feel bad for her because I know we, me and Hef has mentioned this several times on the podcast. I always love the story of an underdog and being on the bottom. And Michelle was on the bottom ever since the merge. And even before the merge, at times, pre-merge, there were times where she was in trouble when she was with poverty and she they were the two women on that tribe and there were three and there were three guys and she had to kind of weave her way out of that bad situation as well. So I always love the story of an underdog and I think that there's only so much you can control in the game of Survivor because there's so many different factors. But given the hand that Michelle was dealt, um, she did a good job of creating the social bonds in order to stay in just one more day, one more day, win immunity when you have to. And I'm a little bit disappointed that Natalie was the one to get the four votes and not her. And I'm not completely taking any way, anything away from Natalie. Like she also did the best she could with the hand that she was given other than maybe one or two moves that she made when she came back. Um, so I want to give her credit for that as well. But I think that when you're Michelle and you've been on the bottom and you haven't actually got voted out of the game, then I wish that sh- the people who were not going to give the vote to Tony would have considered giving a vote to Michelle, even though, yeah, second place or third place, like, but not get, but not getting any votes, I think, is a little bit ridiculous. Just my, yeah, opinion. I agree. And I would have given my vote to Tony, but let's say Tony wasn't there, I would have one hundred percent thrown my vote to Michelle. By all accounts, she should not have been there. She was playing from the bottom of a minority alliance week after or day after day, week after week as we're watching the show. She should not have been in that final tribal council. And Dylan, as you said, I really appreciate the underdog story and. She had to fight every single day to make it to the final tribal. I definitely would have voted for her if it were not for Tony. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Nat- again, Natalie's like she said, I had to play with the hand I was dealt and she crushed it on extinction. Um, and I think that I wasn't, I actually wasn't surprised she got second tier. I did think that N- Michelle was going to get a vote, but I had a pretty strong feeling Tony was going to be our winner and Natalie was going to get second. She would have gotten votes from, and she did from Ethan and some early jurors. I just, because she did build those relationships and edge is such an anomaly. And this is why we've only seen it twice and we're not going to see it again for a while. Maybe if ever again, it's such an anomaly because all logic says is that survivor is a game where the goal is to not get voted out. And if you're voted out on day two, why should you win the game over somebody who's been in the game the whole time? And I just think that what overrides that is the human element of Survivor that people don't always take into account. We always talk about outwit, outplay, and outlast, but there is that human element. And when you've been on the edge with Danny and with Ethan and with Amber this whole time and you got logs together and you got coconuts and you had to sit there in the sun and were dying of thirst, like you build those connections and that's hard to separate game from the human side there. So I do think Natalie did deserve votes there. Michelle deserved votes, but Tony obviously deserved the most. We can break down Tony's game really quick, but I mean, all again, all three elements out with play out last you win four immunity challenges, almost tying the record at five, you beat extortion and you have a great social game by giving, having other winners give you their tokens. You take out Sophie as one of the biggest moves of the season to bring Sarah closer to you. You have no votes cast against you in the whole season. He's describing the spy nest and the whole jury's laughing with him. Tony did such a great job here. There was never any doubt in my mind that Tony was the rightful winner of the season. Yeah, and I just want to hit on this comment right here from Rhonda, yeah, who says, I don't think Tony said enough explaining blindsides like him and Sophie and like the scrambling he did, but it was obviously enough. Uh, I, I, I believe that, I want to believe that he probably did, but it was just edited out. You know, obviously we see a very abbreviated version of Tribal Council and, you know, they, they're they trying to show 
you know, semi-equal airtime to all three people, give their best answers. So I think that he probably did, but I, you know, it was not edited in. So that's what I want to say to that. Um, but yeah, Ryan, I, I definitely do agree with you as well and have you as well also. Um, are there any particular questions or comments at the final tribal council or any of the individual votes that you want to address before we move on to questions? Yeah, so I do. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Tyson tweeted out a few minutes after the episode finished airing that he, he gave his rationale for voting for Natalie. And originally I thought it was because it was a quid pro quo. She gave him an idol. She gave him some peanut butter. So that's why, that's why he ended up voting for her. But he tweeted out, he voted for Natalie because quote, she's a badass and a true friend. At the end of the day, I'd love seeing a friend win and enjoy two Millie over an acquaintance. I barely know maybe just me, but I'll stand by that every time. So I'm, I'm conflicted there because as a fan, I respect good gameplay and I would not just, I would not just do it because it's a friend, but at the same time, that is why I love Tyson. I love Tyson, the person, and he always talks about how the million dollars changed his life. It's another reason I really love him. I love his story and I respect that is why he ended up voting for Natalie. Yeah. And again, like we haven't been on the show, so we don't know the actual human element. And they say that this is a season heavy of relationships as we've seen in pre-existing relationships. Um, and like, I don't like, like, I don't know what I would do if like you guys were, if one of you guys were sitting in the final tribal that maybe I didn't think played a good enough game, but like there was somebody I barely knew that played a great game. Like $2 million is a lot of money and ultimately survivor is a social game and relationships and a human element does come into it. So yeah, and I'm sure it was the same same way with Jeremy. Jeremy's, you know, known Natalie since season 29, been extremely close with her. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was definitely very similar, maybe even the same way. Well, I'll um, say this. If I'm on the jury and one of you is in the final tribal council, I'm not voting for you unless you give me half the money. <laughs> I don't know if that's allowed, but okay, <laughs> we'll go with that. All right. Record. I would love to hop into questions. Yes. So if you have any questions, ask them. Um, and we will, in the meantime, go back and post a few that were asked earlier in the chat as well. Ryan, if you see any also, or have you see any. What's the peanut butter drama on Edge? That I don't know what that is. Commented. Did anyone, anyone know that? I don't know what that is. I'll need to do some research. I'm not totally sure what Maybe it's a hidden scene or something. Yeah. All right. Um, I have this first question from Wendell SEP. If Tony doesn't win, would this season not be considered top tier? Uh, I think that because of the entire season as a whole, I think it would be considered top tier no matter what happened. Maybe if Natalie won, it would be definitely very bitter for a lot of people, and there would be tons of controversy. I think that would have been horrible for the show. Um, nothing against Natalie. I just think it would have been first person voting out winning would have been bad. But I think that if anybody other than – like if, if Michelle had won over Tony for whatever reason, I don't necessarily think that the season is automatically not top tier because of just because of a vote at the end. Yeah, I do think Wendell uh, SCP brings up a good point, though, that, you know, the winner does really have a big impact on a season's legacy. It's the characters, it's the gameplay, it's the winner, it's the advantages, it's a lot of it. So I do think that he's right where if Tony doesn't win, it's a certain knock on the season, especially if, you know, you go down the list. If Sarah wins, then if natalie wins and then if michelle wins so I, he's right though if tony doesn't win it's not a top tier season he did win so this is a top tier season um i mean again we could talk about this in the off season because i'm sure we'll have a lot of great coverage that will talk about the different seasons but 
this is a top tier season. I'm fully w- willing to put it in my top 10. But when Jeff is saying, you guys can share your thoughts when he's saying that this is the number one season of all time. I, I just, I can't get behind it, especially when you have edge of extinction in the season, you have a lot of advantages, especially extortion, which could have ruined someone's game. And it has one of the greatest casts and a great winner. So I'm happy to put it in the top 10, but greatest of all time is a stretch for me. Yeah. I, I also want to, I, I want to say that I think that a great idea for us, and I want I, and I want to mention this, and I want to know if people would like this, but I think that maybe this weekend or next week we should do a kind of reflection on the season, on the whole season kind of podcast, and that is where I want to like – that's where I really want to like dive into like where it ranks as a season like specifically and stuff like that. Um, so I, I want to save some of that talk for that kind of content. Um, but yeah, we could, we could, we could, we could debate and talk that all night. And that's why I want to put it into a separate pod. There's another good question here from Yang. Uh, who would have won between Sarah, Natalie and Michelle? I think Sarah, I, I I still think Sarah would have won. Like maybe, maybe maybe she would have got, maybe people would have been a little bit, um, hesitant because they felt like Tony carried her. But I do think that players like Ben, and Sophie would have like, and I know Sophie looked kind of dead sick and tri- tribal, but I think that players like Sophie, Ben, Yule, I think they would all would have stood up for Sarah's game. Like, yeah, for 100%. So- Sophie, Adam Sophie for sure, Tony, Tony, obviously, Ben, Yule, Adam is a fan of the game. Adam would have never voted for Natalie as somebody who is a student of the game and respects being there the whole time. So that's like five or six right there. Sarah would have had it for sure. For sure. All right. Um, this was, this is an interesting one. So I don't know if you guys caught this, but Jeff mentioned, yeah, you could apply for 16 or 17. That's never been the case before like tonight. It was um, 18, right? It, it's always been 18 and older. So this guy says maybe Mark, uh, says maybe next season survivor goes by generations was having teens apply a spoiler. I actually, do, I don't think that they would have like a whole tribe of teenagers because I think that would lower gameplay oh. and they, they wouldn't want that. Um, but I do think that maybe, maybe like we get one or two people on the next cast that are 16 or 17 years old. So that's, that's was, all I think. That's all I think it was. was Jeff teasing Was Jeff teasing millennials versus Gen X two or Gen X versus Gen Z? What was Jeff teasing there? Um, Ooh, I would love that. I mean, look, listen, the, the, the fan of me says if I had a chance to apply when I was that young, I would have done it. So I can't hate on all the young fans applying but here's what i'll say i want obviously great tv and obviously great gameplay i mean you have people who are not even out of high school yet or out of college or even out of high school and you haven't had the job you haven't had that real life experience you haven't really been kicked when you're down yet i wonder how thrilling that would be for tv now like dylan just said if it's like one 17 year old i'm more than happy good for him or her i want to see them live out their dream but I don't want to see a lot of young kids out there. I think it's not going to be as compelling as they might think. Selfishly, I want it to be Gen X versus Gen Z. Because, <laughs> I'm, first of all, I'm submitting my audition tape tomorrow after Jeff's announcement. And if it was Gen X versus Gen Z, I would love to, I would love to kick some teenager butt. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I mean, we'll... One thing that Jeff did say is he seems very confident about filming and having a fall season. So let's pray that even that was if it's crazy. Yeah. He like, I, I thought he was going to be like, we don't know where we're going to film. He's like, we're very committed to having a fall season. And if you look on the TV schedule, it's out there. So let's pray that even if they film in August, September, they could get something out there by October or something like that. Please. Um, 
clearly, clearly there's some sort of plan um, going forward. Like they have to have some kind of plan in place. So I'm hoping that they do come through and have a fall season because that would be phenomenal. And I am curious to hear the theme. And I'm sure that, you know, when we know that theme, we'll, everyone will know on, on Twitter. But one more question here from Amy. Do you all like the idea of coming into Survivor with pre-existing relationships or would you rather keep it of stra- as strangers? Examples, winners at war, blood water, et cetera. I think it's a good question. I think it depends, you know, on the season. I mean, obviously I loved, I've been wanting winners at war for so many years now and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So while I don't love that, you know, pre-existing relationships are going to put a target on the poker alliance with, you know, Amber and Kim and Tysings, I would have loved to have seen Amber get a chance to play her game. I would have loved to have seen Kim Spradlin back on top again, Tyson not being on the ropes. I think that when you have these great seasons that are going to provide great moments, we have to take what comes with it. So pre-existing relationships are what they are. We can't ignore them. They're going to happen. But I do think that having all new players is always very fun, of course, Amy. Yeah, I I think that, you know, when you have returning players, they're going to have pre-existing relationships. So, yeah, I think they do a good job of balancing new player seasons with old player seasons. But if you want to have returning players, you're going to have pre-existing relationships. And I think that that's that's just the case. I think that my ideal ratio would be one out of every four seasons we have a returning season. You don't you don't want it too much because then it like waters down this the 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 fact that it's so special. But you also are I'm dying to see like I'm dying to see uh returnees play. But uh yeah. I, I do want to, you know, if we if you have any more questions, feel free to feel free to shoot them in the chat. But before we get off here, I do want to thank everyone for engagement throughout the entire season. Uh we came into this season. Uh, having, I believe, six subscribers on YouTube. We had 49, I believe it was around 49 followers on Twitter. Um, and now we're at over 270 subscribers. We're at 425 uh, followers on Twitter. We did, we did interviews with uh, Aaron Meredith, Donald Bate, uh, Elaine Stott. We did an interview with Kelly Wentworth last week. And that's already at over 14,000 views on YouTube. So I want to say thank you everybody for engaging throughout the whole season. And we have a ton of off season content coming up that I do want to quickly preview here. So first of all, within the next two weeks, um, I do believe that we're going to have some sort of reflection podcast where we talk about the season in general and our thoughts and different moments throughout the season. Uh, And we are also going to be hopefully attempting to, bring on some players from this season or at least at least somebody hopefully um to talk about their gameplay throughout the season so we're going to be trying to work on that and if not we will hopefully you know do a few other things that will be just as cool um and in addition we will also be doing what we call fan casting or what i i should say what survivor reddit calls fan casting where at some point during the off season i'm not sure when it's going to start yet probably in june where each week we will do um a certain cast like a, a theoretical cast for a theoretical season. Um, it'll just be a good way to, you know, keep the fans engaged and talk about Survivor, even though that we don't know when Survivor's coming back. Um, would you, you guys have anything to add? Oh, and I, I also, before before you guys add, I also want to uh, quickly also mention that Russell Hans played a huge role in helping us, you know, blow up the season. He took a chance having us on a show. Uh, 
even though he pretty much had no idea who we were, we were just three, three guys who were starting up a survivor podcast um, and created this cool bracket, the ultimate survivor bracket where we had 64 of the best players ever um, and t- Twitter voting on it. And he thought it was a great idea. So he had us on a show and hosted that bracket for us. So big thanks to him as that really helped us grow as well. Do you guys have anything else to say? Yeah, I was just going to add uh, two things. One is that I'm really excited for all the offseason coverage. I mean, I'm going to pray we get the fall season. If not, it's going to be in the spring, which I'm going to have to accept if it happens. But, you know, I'm hoping we get one in the fall. Until then, like Dylan said, we're going to have a lot of offseason coverage for you guys between, you know, doing a deep dive into the season overall and having hopefully more former players as guests and even past all that, having a ton of fan casting, have a ton of uh, dis- discussion podcasts. We're going to do a lot of different things in the off season. Um, but one more thing actually is that I want to thank both of you guys, you know, cause uh, for those who didn't know, like Dylan said, we started out with very few, you know, Twitter followers and few YouTube subscribers, but these two guys started soul survivor podcast last season and I was not a part of it. So I just want to thank you guys for letting me come on and join both of you in this crazy adventure. Um, 2020 has been obviously very rough for a lot of reasons, but this has definitely been the highlight of my year so far. So thank you for letting me join you on this uh, podcasting adventure. Couldn't have grown without the survivor encyclopedia. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thing. You have anything else you, uh, you want to add half? I'll make my thank you short and sweet. Thank you all for joining us tonight, for joining us on this ride throughout season 40. Ryan, thank you for joining us in season 40. Podcast will not be complete without you, our resident survivor expert in the survivor encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, thank you to the Soul Survivor podcast family. Yeah, and I'm excited to get continue, uh, continue content in the offseason. And continue postseason content because there will be a lot to talk about over the next couple of days, couple of weeks. So for one last time this season and for the last time we do an episode recap for who knows how long. Half you want to say it? Ryan, take me in. I was going to say for the last time, I've got nothing else for you. Grab your torches, head back to camp. Good night. <laughs>